0: The following sermon is from Christ Church, Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. I want to jump right in this morning. We are in week three of our DNA series, which is uh, a membership series. Uh, It's not typical, though. So I know if you're here as our guest, you're like, oh, I came in the middle of the membership class. Great, perfect. Uh, Don't worry. Uh, What you're going to hear this morning, it is universal truth from God's word about every human. It is about who God is and who he wants to be, to and for and through every human being. He is doing something on the earth that is eternal in scope, that is spiritual in nature, and that he is inviting everyone to be a part of. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you know that we are wrapped up in an eternal universal and spiritual battle? that that battle has been won and we stand in the blessing of that victory. And now we are ambassadors for Christ to bring good news of great joy for all people. And Jesus is getting this done through the church. Not that's a big deal, but at the same time, some of us grew up in church and it didn't look that fantastic. I was reminded of a story I heard about a man who survived on a desert island for seven years before being rescued. And as his rescuers were pulling away with him on the boat, they looked back on the island and saw three distinct structures. And one of the rescuers says to the man, what are those buildings on the island? He said, well, that one over there, that's my house. And that one over there, that's my church. He said, what's that one in the middle? He said, that's the church I used to go to. (laughs) Let that sink in for a second. So all of us have kind of a church story and not all of our church stories are positive. And that's not a surprise because we're all trying to do this with people and there's no such thing as perfect people. And we all exist in eras and, and movements and movements of God and things change and shift. And sometimes you get hurt. Sometimes things go sideways. Sometimes you end up not where you hoped, but here you are again in church, maybe online only, I don't know. But, but here we are trying to take this month of January, in our seventh year, in May, we turn seven. We're, we're growing and expanding this year. We're planning to build a building to make more room. We're doing all kinds of cool stuff and we're moving towards become becoming a multiplying church. Our goal is to multiply. And in order to multiply, you have to have DNA. You can't recreate what you have without DNA. And so we're using this theme of DNA for this series, and it works well because there's really four basic components to what makes Christchurch Christchurch. I started the series this time uh, with the first week just kind of telling our backstory and talking about our guiding principles and values. And so I just wanted to kind of set up where we've been, who we are, and how we do things, and then In the following four weeks, we're going to look at each of those four components. Last week, we looked at the first component, which is joined with Jesus, that the believer's union with Christ is the central, predominant, and unifying theme of the Bible. It's how we read everything. It's what informs our sense of identity. It's what drives our sense of purpose, and it's what defines our relationships. Now, those three components, and you'll hear them again and again and again if you stick around here, they are connected and, and you'll see them in the scriptures over and over. Anytime you're, you're reading the Bible, you will see that Jesus is the central character and who he is changes who we are. He, he re our real nature. He creates us and redeems us, restores us, transforms us. This is what Jesus does at the identity level. But, he's, but God's also got a plan for every single human. You have a purpose. There is no one else like you. We talked about DNA and we share 99.9% of our DNA with every other human on the planet, and yet there's only one you. And in the same way, there's only one person that can fulfill the purposes that God has for your life, and that is you. And you will do that fully and best when you are walking in who God says you are, you'll be able to do what God says you can do with the people that God has made you a part of. Identity, purpose, relationships. Now, this obviously develops into our understanding of the church. Now I mentioned already Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus said, uh, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is the first place in the New Testament where the word church appears. Did you know that? Jesus was the one to begin to use this word. And there were many other words for the people of God, the family of God, the covenant people of God, Jacob and Israel and Ephraim and all these different ways it was talked about. You have synagogues and Pharisees and Sadducees and Sanhedrins and all these groups of people. But Jesus coined this phrase, from a civic word it was not a religious word and the word church does not sound at all like the original greek word if you were to read your bible in the original language do you got any greek scholars in the house today does anybody happen to know off the top of their head what the greek word for church is shout it out if you know it thank you very much we got one there's always one Ekklesia. This word is from the Greek word kaleo, which means to call or to speak. And ek means out of, and so ekklesia means the called out ones. And this was a word used in civics to talk about a people of a kingdom who heard a proclamation or a trumpet or a sound. And this means you were going to be addressed by your king and everyone of that kingdom would, would come together, gather together to be addressed by, or hear an edict from the king. Jesus could not have picked a better word to describe the ones he was calling out from a kingdom of darkness and into a kingdom of light to speak to, to direct, to empower, and to rule over his people. And so Jesus uses this word, and the New Testament writers use this word again and again and again, ecclesia, the church. Now, it's fun. If you study morphologies of languages, you'll see how we got from ecclesia, to church in English. And in fact, if you trace the word church backwards through the Germanic origins of English and then into Latin, and it actually connects to another Greek word, kurios. You hear that er in the middle, kurios, which means the Lord, Lord. And so the church, as we use it in English, is a way of saying we belong to Jesus. He is our Lord. And so how appropriate to be a part of a church called Christ Church. We are, this is about Christ and we belong to him but we lose that connotation of the fact that we are called out and that we gather together. And it's really critical for us to think about this. I mean, last year we faced, for the first time ever in my lifetime, kind of being told you can't gather. We took 15 weeks not knowing what this whole COVID pandemic was going to bring about, not understanding it. For 15 weeks, we did not have church. And I tell you what, it was not good for any of us and it emptied the power of what God made us to be. And there's too many Christian people who have had a bad experience with the church, that's the church I used to go to, and have sworn off church altogether. But how strange to be called by Jesus, the ones who are called out to gather, who don't come out or gather. And so this is a feature of who we are. Now you can understand this word and how it's developed and how it's used in the scriptures. But really all that does is begin to define for you who the church is. Those people by faith joined with Jesus who gather together, that is the church. But what I'd like to do in this second part of our four parts of our DNA is to talk to you about what the church is. What the church is. And I keep these these messages they're, they're kind of heavy, they're, they're kind of long, but they're also purposefully short. There's only four of them. And I love that about DNA, that's four essential bases. But did you know that if you, your body, the DNA in your body, one gram of that DNA contains 700 terabytes of information? 700 terabytes. Some of you guys have a one terabyte backup drive at your house. And one gram of DNA contains 700 terabytes. When I first learned this about DNA and preached the sermon in 2015, what the report I read said that you could fit all of the world's data in two grams of DNA. Now over the past seven years, the world's data has exploded exponentially. But did you know you can still take every tweet, every Facebook post, every Instagram picture, every bit of information on the internet, You take all of that. If you were to put that on DVDs, that would stack up and go around the the earth 222 times. Do you know that? If every single human on the planet at internet speed tried to download that information, it would take 1.8 billion years. That's how much information there is available on the planet right now. You can still fit all of that information in one tablespoon of DNA. This is how powerful these building blocks are some of you are going, that can't be right. Look it up. It's incredible. If you were to take the DNA from your body and extend it end to end, it would reach from the earth to the sun and back 600 times. That's how the sermon is going to feel by the time we're done, so buckle up. <laughs> I want to try to get a lot done. Uh, I reverted to an old bad habit in first service. I accessed my micromachines guy voice in order to make a 60-minute sermon a 45-minute sermon. And so if you want to go listen to it at three-quarters speed, I highly recommend it later. Uh, But since I've done this one already, I figured I was going to just bless you guys uh, by not trying to get every single piece of information in there. But there are some critical components that I wanna draw your attention to, especially if you are here and you're considering uh, making Christ Church home. If you're already here and you know this stuff, it's gonna click, it's gonna refresh you, it's gonna remind you. If you're here and you're going, is this the kind of church for me? I want you to get this. I want you to hear what we're trying to be, what God's called us to do, what it looks like for us. And if you're here and someone drag you to church with the promise of lunch and you don't care about any of this, I want you to hear the truth of who God made you to be, what you exist on this planet for. God wants you to walk out of here with eternal significance, purpose, meaning, and value that you've never seen. It's so much bigger and better than anything you could ever give your life to. And it is what Jesus died to create, his church. So we use that word church in a few different ways. Um, you drive past the church building, give so many directions. Oh yeah, go past the church on the right, first left. The church. I'm not the word police. I'm not gonna try to tell people to stop using words in certain ways. It's just the way language works. And so sometimes we talk about the church as this nebulous group of people. The church, this, the church, that. Sometimes we're referring to the leaders of a particular branch of the church. Some people talk about the church's stance on birth control and they're talking about the Roman Catholic church and they're talking about the leaders and the, the organization or the traditions of the church. So we use this word in very flexible ways. But this idea of church is really referring to all of the people who have responded to the call of Jesus and have become a part of his eternal kingdom, which is currently intermixed into the people and the kingdoms of this world. It's invisible, but it's dynamic, it's alive, it's real, and we have Jesus as our ascended king. That is the church. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says he will build his church. Now we exist in a period of redemptive history. Do you know that there's different ways God has related to people all throughout history? I mean, you read your Old Testament, he's primarily dealing with a people, a geo-ethnic group of people called the Israelites. If you back up from that, he had these particular 12 tribes and these founding families. You back up from that, there's actually a guy named Israel who who got that name from his struggle with God. And at one point it was just Abraham in a period of him waiting for a son of promise from his wife, Sarah. And so God has always been relating to humans and he's always chosen a people and he's worked in different ways. But in the old Testament, God was relating to geoethnic Israel and, and he was calling them to be a, a distinct worshiping nation. I mean, this is what Israel is about. They were distinct. And maybe you've seen, you know some Orthodox Jews now and they don't shave the sides of their beards. The curls come down and some of them wear the yarmulkes or the black hats and all black and the tassels. And there's a lot of things they do externally that feature their distinctiveness. Have any of you ever seen this? If you see a guy that looks just like me, but you notice he has a yarmulke, what do you know about him? He's Jewish or he's trying to hide that pesky bald spot, one of the two. (laughs) So there's these distinctive features, but there's a geo-ethnic identity And they exist to worship and honor God and put that on display. Part of the calling of Israel during the period of that redemptive history was so that God would show what a people looked like that had him as their God in contrast to the rest of the world. What made Israel a failure ultimately in being the light of the world was that no Israelite nor the nation itself could do that. But Jesus came as the faithful Israelite, as the promised son of David, as Abraham's seed, as the seed of the woman to fulfill what the nation of Israel could not. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he has opened the door to the kingdom of heaven, which now welcomes everyone who would join Jesus through faith in his name. And so everyone's invited. But this means that we are no longer a distinctive worshiping nation. We are something else. Now, while all churches can kind of look the same, you may be here and you're like, this reminds me of kind of the last church that I was in, or maybe it was a little different here or there, but got the music and the service times and the nice comfy seats and the sermon and we're in and we're out and got the the weekend stuff and Thursday nights and youth group and all the trappings of American Christianity. What are we trying to be? Now, I've had experience in church my entire life. And some of, some of the groups I've been a part of, I would, I would call a political activist club. I, my parents were a part of this church in the 80s. And um, I remember being dragged to a Pat Robertson for president rally with little foam hats. And, and this church was all about one particular political issue, and that's all you ever heard about. That's what everybody was working towards, and there was a political kind of like, we can take over this country for Jesus. You ever been a part of a group like that? Some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, no. <laughs> Maybe you've been a part of a church that was just an inward, clicky society. It was a group of people who'd been doing the same thing so long together that they were They're non-perceiving of anybody else but them. They had the us for no more mentality. If you've ever been in in a little environment like that, you go, okay, I'm gonna go. I remember being in a church growing up where if you walked in and you were new, everybody knew you were new. (laughs) And nobody talked to you. You had to come for like six months before someone would look at you and go, I think they're gonna make it. I think they're gonna (laughs) stick. So many churches right now are little more than a friendly, uplifting service is not a bad thing to be, but if that's all you're trying to be, then you're missing major components of what the church of Jesus exists to do and the commission against which the gates of hell will not prevail. There's a trend right now to see churches become this kind of like... Um, Trendy, hyped-up experience where everybody on the stage is a supermodel, and everything is like perfect, and everything is like Instagrammable, and this is like this, this like attractive kind of like maybe it's Maybelline Christianity. I don't know if you've noticed that out there, but um, if I remember when these things first started coming, I remember looking, following this one church, and I was like, "How are they all so good-looking? What is going on? What is in the water?" In that city, the trick is they just keep all of the regular looking people on the other side of the camera. That's what they're doing. And they're doing it on purpose. And then everybody gets all jazzed up, hyped up, and it's all about the experience, which is fun. It's kind of exciting, but it doesn't last much more than the 64 minutes that they planned out for it to take place, right? And so of all these things that churches can be, we wanna be really straightforward and clear and focused to stay what we believe the scriptures say churches ought to do and be. And that is to my left and your right on the wall, so we don't forget, empowered missional community. Empowered missional community. I wanna spend the next few minutes just talking about what each of those three words mean. And I wanna invite you to participate in this mission from Jesus on every single level. Let's talk about the word empower. Somebody say empowered. I love this word empowered. I remember being a teenager, and I was a scrawny little thing. I know that's hard to imagine. Uh, but I was just scrappy and thin. And um, and uh, my dad's this, like, big, strong guy, and he was in the automotive industry, and he had these, like, sausage fingers and big old meaty hands. And he, he just was hammering out metal his whole life, giant forearms. And and I kind of took off my mom's side of the family, and we're just just thin, you know? And But I remember being the thing of my dad was like the strongest guy I'd ever seen. And then like sometime in the middle of like puberty, started to like get stronger and bigger and fill out a little bit more and and discover what it means to have newly found strength. That only lasted for like a year. but. I remember how cool it felt to be like empowered. Maybe some of you guys have gone through like a whole weight loss journey or you've gone into some physical training and you've gone from being able to do one thing to be able to do something else. And there's an empowering, a strengthening that you personally have experienced. You see, the body of Christ is meant to be an empowered body. We are meant to be receiving strength, capacity, and authority from God for a purpose. And to be joined with Jesus, to be, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be uniquely empowered. This happens in a couple of ways. The first is capacity. Do you know that as a follower of Jesus, you are given a divine supernatural capacity to be everything God says you are and do everything God says you can do? Now maybe you grew up in kind of a, a traditional religious environment. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but I grew up in an environment where there was a real emphasis on the sovereignty of God in salvation, and so the the structure was created for us, the the base of which was total depravity—that every human being was so lost that there was no good thing inside of a person—and therefore. God had to act on the outside of us and he was completely sovereign in his salvation to make dead things alive. And so that's actually true. I mean, that's what the Bible says. You were dead in sin and God made you alive together. None of us made ourselves alive. Uh, We can't do that. It's outside of our purview. And in salvation, God makes dead things alive. But on the other side of that coin, there was this kind of subtle belief that kind of people are just all bad all the time and so the concept of total inability or total depravity really became utter depravity and we would talk about things like from jeremiah that the heart is deceitfully wicked and we all had blind spots and we only all of our best efforts were filthy rags and there was all this emphasis on how terribly we were all the time and it created an expectation of failure it did so many people that I knew growing up they' struggle with the same things year after year after year after year after year, they expected to fail, and when they did, that fulfilled their expectation, and they never grew out of so many things and that is just completely antithetical to the good news about Jesus. Do you know that when God cleanses you, he begins a work in you that begins your transformation and he is the one who empowers you to obey him and to move beyond the things you used to do into a new way of living. We are joined with Jesus into the waters of baptism and in his death, we die to sin and we are raised to walk in newness of life. And this power comes from the Holy Spirit. We are empowered, we are capable Everything God says we ought to do, he gives us the power, resolve, and strength to do. Do you know it? Now, I love this because it's a passive word. We are not powerful, we are empowered. The power comes from God and not us. Isn't that awesome? We need to know this because when you're bumping into a bad habit, a besetting sin, an addiction, some destructive behavior, and you're gonna walk in freedom over it, you gotta start by bringing it to God, letting him forgive you of it, and then expecting that he's gonna give you the strength to overcome it. And if you don't have that expectation, you're gonna to continue to do the same things over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. But we're empowered. He does the same thing with spiritual gifts. You know, God's got a plan to strengthen his body. And so much of that comes through encouragement and speaking God's heart and God's word and hearing God's voice and coming alongside of one another and bringing reproof and correction and instruction. And the Holy Spirit empowers all of this activity in the church. And he gives gifts to men and women so that we can have a supernatural experience with him that overflows as a blessing to other people. I mean, Jesus said, All of these references to the Old Testament, when he came, he would lead a host of captives and he would give gifts to men. When the Holy Spirit came, people began to receive gifts foreign to them. They could not do things, now they can. Signs and wonders, new tongues, all sorts of miracles surrounded the disciples because they were receiving gifts from God and then using those gifts for the purpose that God intended, namely the building up of the body and the reaching of the lost. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you should expect to receive supernatural gifts from God. There's numbers of lists in the Bible. There's things like encouragement and prophecy, leadership, administration, tongues. There's ones that aren't in there like intercession. There's, they're not exhaustive lists, but you know that God just gives all these gifts to his people so that we can use those gifts to be a blessing to each other and others. He empowers those gifts in every single one of us. And he calls us to use them out of love and service. And when we do that for that reason, you you will be blown away to see the miracles that God does right at the end of your own fingertips, right through through your own words and in your own very community. People ask me all the time why we don't see more miracles. And part of the reason is we're not engaging God to believe that we are empowered the way he says we are. We're not stepping out in boldness to do what God's called us to do. God says, I want you to go talk to that person. So many of us are like, get somebody else. Not going to do it. You ever have that feeling? You're in the grocery store. You, 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 you feel like the Holy Spirit's saying something to you. Too, too many of us are too afraid. and We shut that down. We think, oh, I'm going to fail. It's going to go terrible. Well, you're going miss, to miss your miracle. And now God will get somebody else to get it done. He always gets his will done. Do you know that? The question is, will you experience it? Will you be the gift that God intends you to be? And this sounds weird to say, but every one of you is God's gift to this church. Every one of you. And we say things like this to people who have prominent gifts. People tell me all the time, you really have a gift for this. Well, I go, you really got a gift for something too? Are you using yours? Because you're empowered. You're empowered. You're uniquely capable. Let's take it to the next level. You're also uniquely authorized. There's a lot of weird teaching about authority. I hear it all the time. People get this wrong but unfortunately we get it wrong in the wrong direction. Some people over authorize and they're talking about taking authority for this and having authority over that and speaking authority over that. There's a lot of that, but most of us, that's not our problem. Most of our problem is we live life like a five-year-old that won't ask for permission. Do you know that? And part of understanding that you are empowered means God has chosen you to be a part of what he is doing that's so much bigger and more powerful than anything you could do in yourself. But if you will step up to the plate and take on the task and take a step of faith, you will find that you actually have not only the capacity, but the authority to do the very thing God has called you to do. How many of you guys, uh, well, I shouldn't say it this way. I was gonna say, how many of you guys have a credit card? Some of you just got through Financial Peace University you were like, Not me. So we have a credit card for the church. And uh, we have have to make lots of different purchases and communion elements and power bills and travel and all kinds of stuff, Amazon packages and paper and kids stuff, toilet paper, all the stuff you need. And so I cannot be the one doing all the purchasing. You know that, right? And so all of our staff and some of our key volunteers, they get a credit card. It's all one account, but I add them as what? An authorized user. How many of you guys did that when your kids went to college? You're like, that was a mistake. (laughs) You're like, should've set that spending limit. That first month was a doozy, right? The idea though, is that they are like legally authorized to swipe your card because it's got their name on it. Do you know that to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, part of the kingdom of God, a follower of Jesus, you have been authorized by God himself? Now, if you look at yourself and say, am I qualified? Then you will probably never swipe your card. But God, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He's not, looking for, he's not looking for experts, subject matter experts. Do you know that? He's looking for people who are willing to trust him and take a step. Which means if, if we're empowered, if we have capacity and authority, we ought, we ought to be people who are bold. We ought to be people who are willing to take a risk. On, on other people, in conversations, through prayer. Uh, I, if, we could, if we just did just prayer, if you just said, you know what, I am a, I'm an authorized agent of the kingdom of heaven and everywhere I go that I see a problem and a person disconnected from God, I'm gonna intervene and intercede through prayer and I'm just gonna start, at, I'm just gonna start asking everyone everywhere I go if I can pray for you. Would that be bold? You're in Target, their card won't swipe. Uh, 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 uh. Let me pray for you. Oh, what? Did you say, well, let me pay for you? (laughs) Because you never know how this is gonna go, right? But God's calling us to be bold, to step into situations. We are his ambassadors, but we are empowered people. We have got to see ourselves as capable. We gotta take our eyes off of our own limitations and inabilities and start putting our eyes on the God who empowers gifts in every one of us. We've gotta take our eyes off of where we feel disqualified or unable or a failure or we don't have all the answers and step into a situation expecting the support to come from God. When uh, I've had this experience with all my children, but one of my favorite memories when we were early married and we had just evie and i think meredith may have been a baby Uh, we had one car and tiffany was working cleaning houses and on my day off i would take the kids and we would drop mom off at a house to clean and i would take the kids to the park and then i would come back and pick her up and i I remember having evie when she was like i don't know 15 16 months old she was really small and um we're at a we're at a park and she wanted to do the monkey bars they're like four feet off the ground she's this big you know what i mean she's and she's really really small the giant head i mean a watermelon head she, she took forever to walk just because that thing was hard to balance, right? And she wanted to do the monkey bars, and so I, you know, I picked her up with in one hand, and I lift her up, and she grabs the monkey bars, and she starts going across those monkey bars like it was like boot camp, and I'm just like carrying along, and uh, okay, and I put her down. I go check on her sister. And then I look over and she's gone back up the ladder and she's got that first bar and she's like ready to like leap it. Of course, what's going to happen if she actually goes for that second bar is she's going to wipe out and fall right down on the ground, right? Probably smack on her head, which is not what you want to bring back to mom when she's been working all day. Okay. I rushed over there and got my hand under her. And what I loved about that picture was that she, whether or not she knew I was the source of her support, she was bold enough to go for it. And like a good father, I got my hand right up under her tushy, right? And I'm telling you, our father in heaven's way better at this than I am. And so be bold, look for an opportunity, step out and watch the support that comes under you're empowered. Now, the other thing I love about empowered is that not only are we bold, but in, this is the best way to be bold is to be bold and humble. It's a passive word. We are empowered. He is the source of the power, which means when something amazing happens, He gets the credit. Can I get an amen? A wonderful part about being in the church of Jesus is that we do the impossible, but He is the one who causes it to happen. We are merely the agents of His miraculous power, and that brings about an incredible humility. And so we're not, gonna, we're not gonna start boasting about our abilities or our spiritual gifts or the things we've done or the outcomes. We don't talk about the numbers of people baptized and testimonies of all these people. We don't need to promote us as though we're the place to be because all the good stuff happens here. It doesn't matter who we are, where we're at. It's the king of kings that brings about the transformation. He's the one that changes lives. And we're just merely the conduits of his power. And so we ought to be really bold, but also really humble. We know what, what this would look like if it was just us. Can we be honest? We just aren't that good at this. But when we step out and he shows up, that's when the cool stuff starts to happen. We're empowered. Secondly, we're, we're missional. Somebody say missional. When I, when I started using this word in 2015, I didn't hear anybody else using it and I would type it into Microsoft Word and I would type in missional and it would get a little red squiggly line under it. Do you mean missionary? No. Do you mean mission trip? No. Missional. That is not a word. It is now Microsoft hyphen. Put a little hyphen in there. Get the squiggly line to go away. Missional. Now, everybody says missional. I I heard a podcaster yesterday saying their organization was missional. And I was like, when did this become a buzzword? Missional. It's so important that we remember that we are not only uniquely competent because of the Holy Spirit through our union with Jesus, but we are uniquely commissioned. Do you know that we are a sent people. I love the fact that we, we want to gather. I'm so glad that you're here because gathering is a feature of the called out ones. We want to bring God our best. We want to honor him with our time and our attention and our giving and our spiritual disciplines. We want to give him everything every single day, but he also then fills us to send us. And we are a missional church. Sometimes I think we, we wish or we act like the mission of the church was not Matthew 28. 18, to go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you, to the end of the age. That's the the closing words of Matthew's gospel and the great commission for the church. Sometimes we act like it's 1 Thessalonians 4.10, which is probably not committed to memory, but it says, we urge you, brothers, to aspire, to live quietly, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. (laughs) Shut up. Go to work. Mind your own. You're like, I want to be a part of that church. I do. That's easy. That's easy, but it totally cuts off the reality that God has asked us to go out of our way. Do you know that? God has asked us to be mindful of people who are not mindful of him. We are the only organization on the planet that exists for its non-members. Do you know that? And God's methodology to bring good news to lost people is to send those who have experienced the transformation that comes through salvation in Jesus. We are uniquely commissioned. And this means that we should be outward and engaged. Now, some of you are like, you're already a gifted evangelist. I can see it. You're ready. You're like, yes, this is right. This is the best part. The church misses this. Yes, let's talk about this. I know that God gives the gift of evangelists. It's one of the five-fold gifts in, the, in, the, in Acts and in Ephesians. Yes, there's evangelists. They're ready to go. Some of you are just, you're just energetic, extroverted people, and you're just chatting with everyone everywhere you go. You're just ready to have a conversation, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those of you who are introverted, you're like, oh, no, here we go. We're talking. Most of you are probably just online streaming right now. You're like, oh. And 2020 came, they're like, you can't go to church. They're like, fine, that's fine, no problem. <laughs> we opened the church out of an abundance of caution. I'm gonna stay home forever. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I saw a meme recently that said, a large group of people is called out, no thanks. That's what a large group of people is called. Anybody like that? Anybody pry yourself out of your bedroom this morning to come to church? And you're like, nobody talk to me, please, nobody talk to me. Please, nobody talk to me. There's so there's a whole bunch of people who are just wired for not that. Anybody felt that before? You're like, oh, And so there's this tension that happens. And there's a lot of guilting that goes on when you get into these missional conversations. Next week, we're gonna talk specifically about how we accomplish our mission to be and become disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. But whenever we start talking about the mission of the church, all of the introverts just bow their heads and wait for it to get over. Because the idea of going... starting a new conversation of sharing your faith with somebody of like even public speaking you're like oh i don't want to do that this is this is the reason everybody hates like cold call sales you know have you ever been a part of a church where they're like all right everybody evangelism training we're going door to door knock 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 here's your spiel if you want to go to heaven you got to do it Oh, will ask jehovah's witness wait and there's there's such a impulse in us to not wanna do this thing. But listen, I got really, 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 really good news for you. God made you an introvert. Do you know that? God wired half the population to get around people and be exceedingly drained from that experience and to need to read a book and pet a cat and sit alone for four hours in order to recharge like you putting your cell phone on the battery charger. Do you know that? It's just the way God made people. I did not know this until I was in my thirties. I thought everybody was as extroverted as me and I didn't know what everybody's problem was. Why are you having such a bad day? You know, what's wrong with you? They're just not like you. Praise the Lord, we're not all like me. That would be really troubling. Some of us are just wildly extroverted. We love being with people. We're ready to step in in any situation. We love talking and connecting. We're just ready to go. But listen, do you know that the mission is not cold call, knocking on doors, would you like to talk about Jesus today? You know what? Most people, when you say, Would you like to talk about Jesus? Know what they're going to say is? No. I heard one comedian say, like, Even the Pope doesn't like to talk about Jesus. <laughs> hey, you want to talk about Jesus? I try to leave work at the office. You know? <laughs> so there's like this impulse. But here's the reality, is that Jesus is what people need. And even if you are a raging introvert, there are people that you know and care about who you have an opportunity to speak to that I will not, that will not answer the door when young boys in black ties come knocking, right? And so here's what I wanna do. I just wanna like let all the introverts in the room, all the people who go, that is not my bag. Listen, the mission is bigger than that. There's this little sliver of, of outreach we call evangelism. The mission is relational. It's in conversations. I love that we see this in the book of Acts too. This is Acts chapter 17. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, he shows up at the lunch break when everybody goes to hear people philosophize and theologize and debate, and he walks right into that and begins speaking. And he tells them all about God in Acts 17. But Acts 8, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, that goes back to empowered. God's got a messenger. He's bringing a message. He's going to use Philip. You ever read this? This is where Philip is sent to the Ethiopian eunuch. This is this passage. Look at this. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, did it ever cross your mind when you read that? Why didn't God just send the angel of the Lord to the eunuch? This ever, these questions ever come out of you when you read your Bible? Every time to me, I'm like, I think we could have skipped a step here, Lord. But God's plan to, to reach the whole world does not come via angel. It comes through disciples of Jesus. So God dispatches an angel, to send Philip to the eunuch who happens to be reading Isaiah, doesn't understand what he's reading. Philip walks up alongside and says, would you like to talk about that? Now, some of you are looking for just that opportunity. The question is, are you listening to God's nudge for the gifts that he's given you to use those for the good of other people? And so we ought to be outward. It doesn't mean extroverted, but it does mean outward. And this requires us to be engaged. We just have to stay engaged. It's so, so easy for us to get distracted and preoccupied by the little things we're trying to get done every day. We can not walk in our calling because we are just too busy, too overcommitted, not enough time if we're mindful of the people who are around us and we're willing to engage in a bigger mission than the one we're on. Right now, I need broccoli and ranch dressing and I need to get in and get out. But there's a person in there who's struggling and just waiting for someone to walk up alongside of them and say, are you okay? Can I pray for you? Can I pay for you? Can I tell you what that means? This is what it means for us to engage. And it's for everyone. So we want to be... Missional means we're outward and engaged. Lastly, thirdly and lastly, we are an empowered missional community. Somebody say community. Community, which means we are uniquely constructed. So we're uniquely capable, we're empowered. We're uniquely commissioned, we are sent, and we are uniquely constructed, we are a community. The word to describe what this means is right there inside community, and it's common. There's lots of groups of people who have community around one common reality. For some, of, for some people, it's their kids play soccer together. Maybe for some of you it's a hobby that you partake in. Maybe it's the place that you work or the community center that you live in. There's all sorts of things that we experience community around. The question is what is the common element around that community and therefore what the nature of that community will be? Now, here's the thing about the church. We have one thing in common, no matter how diverse we are, and that one thing is a person and his name is Jesus. And so if you came to church today and you didn't know anybody, we all know one person, And we know the same person and he's the basis for the community that we experience. And this, and this happens all the time. I don't know if you've ever been like in another country in a different situation and you meet somebody who you have nothing in common, but you find out they're a believer and instantly there's a connection. You ever felt that? See that right there, brothers and sisters, is where community begins to happen. Now, there's a lot of talk right now about diversity there's a lot of emphasis on trying to create diverse environments. And there's a lot of criticism that is coming on churches who are not ethnically diverse. I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not. Maybe you're not paying attention to those things or reading those articles. I am, because I'm a pastor. One of the things that I've seen uh, in sociology and in the church is that people tend to self-sort because we like to be around people who are like us. Do you know this? This is just universal Reality, if I walk into a crowded room and I see a guy wearing flip-flops and board shorts and a T-shirt, I'm gonna go talk to that guy. And I feel like I'll have more to be able to talk to with that guy than probably everybody else in the room. Even if he just speaks Spanish and I speak English, we'll figure that out, small obstacle, right? Because you can assess someone's externals and and make a judgment about how easily it is going to be to connect with them. And and that is the stuff of community. What do we have in common? And so we tend to self-sort. And so we go to places where people speak the same language and have the same culture and kind of fit in the same narrow demographic. And all people do this. This is why there is still segregation in the church. It's not being imposed on anyone because we're self-sorting. Do you realize that? But even if that's happening at a local level, the reality is is that we are a part of the universal church that is purposely diverse because the word of God is reaching everyone everywhere because God is making a kingdom for himself of every nation, tribe, and tongue. And that is what the church consists of. Which means while you may naturally be drawn to people who look like you and dress like you and talk like you and act like you and have a job like yours, you have a connection with every single person that has faith in Jesus, no matter how different you are. And this means we have an environment that is not purposefully trying to create diversity, but we are being a people who welcome everyone and you have a connection with people who are very different with us because we share the most important relationship. And so here's what we're looking for. When we think about community, most of the time, we're actually looking for friends. We want to go to a church. It's close to the house, check one. The kids like it, check two. The chairs are comfortable, check three. Coffee's good, check four. Service time, a little long. We can deal with that. <laughs> Start making all the accommodations. But after a while, you go to the same church and then you know, two or three years can go by and you go, you know what, I think we're gonna look for something different. Why? We just haven't made any friends there. We don't like, feel like we're apart. I don't know anybody. It happens so very much. And here's the reality. Sometimes we have this expectation that we can find community already in progress and just jump in. Like it's a swimming pool in July. Ah, refreshing. But that is not how community works. And you know this. Have you ever been in a conversation with like three or four people and then somebody just abruptly walks into the conversation, starts laughing and then speaks? You ever had that happen? (laughs) That reminds me of the time. that You're like, what are you doing? We were just talking about something that you weren't even a part of and you just kind of like interjected yourself in there and just took it whole thing over. Never experienced that? Just my friends? All right. Maybe it's a pastor thing. I don't know. It's just as awkward as that. The reality is, is that you don't find community. You have to create community. You have to say things like, hi, my name is, state your name. What is your name? And then listen to what they say. And then say things like, uh, have you been here long? Would you like to go to lunch with me? Like there's things you can do from seeing a human that seems friendly to actually getting to know that person. And so we don't think we have to do that, but it requires an investment of time and energy and interest and listening. And there's these little tiny obstacles that keep us from having community all the time. That's why we are the church of tell me your name again. That's, I, was, I almost put it on the sign. Christchurch. Tell me your name again. It's that big of a deal around here because too often the obstacle of forgetting someone's name is enough that you just don't even have the conversation. How many of you guys have said before, I, I remember faces but I'm terrible with names. Come on, raise your hand. That's because you're human. Everybody's bad at that. You're like, you just said your name and I already forgot. I don't know why that happens, but it does. And it'll happen. You'll be be like in Target or in Walmart and you'll see somebody and you're like, oh, that's left section, dude. He's in the 9 a.m. I see him every single (laughs) week. What's his name? I don't know. But he told me like two months ago when I said hi to him. And then you have two options at that point. You can duck and hide, which is very popular. (laughs) Or you can go over there and hope the personal name thing doesn't come up. Hey, how are you? Great to see you, man. You know, like, you, you know the awkwardness. And the, here's the, the funny part is they don't remember your name either. You know, they're feeling the same thing. They're like, oh, I bet he knows my name. Nope, he doesn't. He's faking it. He's faking it. So look, just start with, hey, tell me your name again. The worst thing that happens is we've never met. That's it. The, the worst thing is, hey, tell me your name one more time. I never told you the first time. Well, moving right along, what is it? That's the worst thing that can happen. But as soon as you start talking to someone and calling them by name or praying for them and saying their name, you're you're beginning to overcome those obstacles and make connections. And this is where community happens. It happens in relationship, in conversation, in time, in the exchange of words, ideas, feelings, fears, and futures. And so we've got to learn to create and cultivate community. And we're not going to do that for you. Small groups is not going to do that for you. Structure is not going to do that for you. You have to do that for you. And so if you want to go from finding a church you like to having friends and growing in your faith, you need to remember the three ships of community. The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. (laughs) I was just making sure you're paying attention. I know, it's like, you're like, it's 12, feeling hungry. No, the three ships, I'm almost done. Fellowship, discipleship, friendship and they always happen in this order. Fellowship is that thing I described earlier where you have a connection with somebody just because you both know Jesus. You both have a story that you were lost and now you're found. Koinonia is the word, and it means that no matter what our difference is, we share the most important values together, and so we have a connection that allows us to come into a relationship, and, and without backstory, history, we can begin to share at a very deep level. The Bible calls this fellowship. And so when you have somebody over and you start to share your story and you give them the details that make their eyebrows go up, ooh, your stories always end with, I was, but God. And you can begin to experience fellowship with a person. And that is what is gonna start to cultivate community for you. You're gonna have a connection with somebody. They're gonna remember your name from that story. Let me tell you, all right? They're gonna go, oh, you won't forget that. But are you willing to take it to that level? Fellowship. The second is, discipleship. And this is where the intentionality of following Jesus comes in. And I I use this three-dimensional kind of illustration um, because a lot of us grew up in in an environment that was intentional about discipleship, but ultimately was just um, people, mentoring other people to be like them. I'm gonna teach you how to be a good person and you're gonna talk like me and dress like me and walk like me and work like me and keep records like me and manage a calendar like me and manage money like me and I'm gonna teach you all the things. And that's not a bad thing. Mentoring is great but that's not discipleship because discipleship is where we are helping each other become better followers of Jesus. And so I don't, wanna, I don't wanna create little versions of me. That would be a disaster. I wanna help you follow Jesus better. I want you to know what it means to hear from him and to be led by him and to obey him, right? And so discipleship always starts on this axis between you and God. And then discipleship goes linear in this direction on this, on this Y axis, because there's always people who have been doing it longer than you and who know more than you, and can reach back to help you and to tell you their stories and their, their successes and their failures and, and how God showed up strong for them. And that discipleship goes this way. And then you can always look back. The beautiful thing about being a part of the church is that even if you're brand spanking new, even if you got baptized last week and you've memorized John three sixteen, and that is all you know, give it five days and there'll be somebody that comes in that knows less than you. <laughs> And so there's always somebody that you can invest into. You can go, let me tell you the three things I've learned. Here they are. And let's work on this following Jesus thing together. And so we have this this X axis and this Y axis. There's also this Z axis. Because you are being sent into the world where there are people that I will never get proximity to. They will never come to a church service. They will never tune into a sermon. You can send it to them, email them a link. They will not listen. But when you are passing them and they are heading headlong in the wrong direction, you will have an opportunity to put out a hand and to bring somebody in and to give them good news and to tell them who made them and what they were made for and where they can find meaning and purpose and forgiveness and transformation and hope. And discipleship is always about bringing in people who aren't following Jesus and are running in the wrong direction. Now, sometimes you'll have somebody passing you at 40 miles an hour and if you try to grab them, it'll tear your arms off, okay? So be careful, but we have to be intentional. And I'm telling you, seated in this room right now are people you do not know who two years from now you will find to be an indispensable friend because of the fellowship you've shared, the discipleship, the energy and investment of time and conversation that you have born into each other, invested into one another. And even even more amazing, there are people in the world right now that are not thinking about church, they are not thinking about Jesus, and they are not going through a crisis, but they are going to encounter difficulty and pain, and you are gonna be placed by God in the right place at the right time to be bold and humble, to be sent to speak, and to watch the miracle of salvation and transformation happen right in front of you. And then God's gonna bring that person into this body, into this community, and they're gonna flourish and they're gonna change the world for the rest of us. Because every single person created in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, has a place in the body of Christ, will be given a gift and we will be the better for it. Do you see how beautiful the church of Jesus is meant to be? We're an empowered, missional community and you have a place here as well God I pray that we would begin to believe this really really believe it I pray that we would start to wake up every day expecting your Holy Spirit's power to work in our minds and through our words and to direct our actions God I pray that we would like the Apostle Paul, see ourselves as, as ambassadors of reconciliation, imploring people on God's behalf to be reconciled to God. Gotta pray that we would see ourselves as sent, whether we're extroverted or introverted. I gotta pray that we would have realistic expectations about the creation of community. Help, help us to be willing to be vulnerable again, to take a chance on people, to share our stories, to share a meal to overcome our social awkwardness, whatever the obstacle would be. Jesus, we know that you are building a church that will prevail against the schemes of the enemy and set captive souls free. And we want to live our lives to be a part of that. God, where our expectations need to be adjusted, we pray that you would change our minds and strengthen our faith. And God, as we just seek to do these simple things, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen Christ church and make us a visible picture of your heart and your body in our generation. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen, I we're, we're gonna close with a song and I just wanna invite you uh, to remind yourself that no matter what your experience has been, you know who your God is, amen? That he is faithful, has been, and will be. So let's, let's stand and let the team lead us in the song as we close.